Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 215. I won't bother numbering the Thanksgiving special. Uh, before we start, I'd like to thank a whole slew of people for liking The Week in Doubt Facebook page. We have Derek Merrill, Michael Thompson, Jacob Reynolds, Jennifer Brown, Nathan Brown, and John Paul Billingsley Jr. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it very much. At the risk of sounding sappy or corny, it feels good to know that people are listening and they care enough to stop by and give the Facebook page a like. I'd also like to give a shout-out to a fellow podcaster who hosts a show called The Beardcaster. He contacted me yesterday and let me know he's working on a Krampus special, and he'd like to use audio from the mini Krampus documentary I released last year. And I was like, sure, go for it, man. Let me know when it airs, if the term airs is applicable to the medium of podcasting. I know you're probably eager for me to get on with the show, but I thought I'd quickly give you a bit of a personal health update. Nothing too, too serious. Uh, But it's funny, just a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about how I've been taking antidepressants for chronic headaches for many years now, since my early 20s. I went on to explain how the theory is that antidepressants, depending on the specific class, raise levels or potentiate or boost the efficacy of serotonin in the brain. And serotonin isn't just a mood enhancer, but it's also thought to be a pain reliever, or at least seems to be able to alter the perception of pain, and that's why antidepressants are prescribed for chronic headaches. Well, recently, maybe starting about three or four weeks ago, I started getting a hint of my old headaches here and there. Nothing too serious. I thought maybe they were being triggered, trigger warning, by uh, an asthma drug I was trying that can uh, stimulate your nervous system. So I just stopped taking the medicine and the headaches seemed to have faded away. Then about a week and a half ago, bam, it was like all of a sudden my antidepressants stopped working and the old headaches were back. An almost constant nauseating pain on the right side of my head and my neck muscles all tensed up like iron on the same side. So I don't know what's going on. Could be that after years of taking the same antidepressant drug, I've finally developed a tolerance and it's losing its efficacy. Or maybe I've suddenly become susceptible to seasonal affective disorder. Maybe I've been under more stress recently than I've realized. Or maybe it's some combination of all three. But anyway, I have a neurology appointment on the 20th of this month, and in the meantime, hey, one day at a time. I did have a kind of breakthrough, or dare I say epiphany, if that doesn't carry too much of a religious connotation, that while I'm awaiting some form of relief, there's at least one thing I can do now. I can stop worrying. So on the spot, I just said, that's it. I'm not going to worry myself into knots over the usual neurotic stuff. I'm not going to make my headaches worse by stressing out about what I'm going to do about them. I'm just going to chill. As simple as that. And I have to admit that since then, the severity of the headaches actually did seem to ease up a bit. And I think people like myself who tend to worry too much, we do seem to work under the false assumption or assertion that in order to solve a problem, we have to latch on to that problem and relentlessly worry or obsess about it until it's resolved, which I think is actually extremely unhealthy and destructive. Something I learned long ago that I'm trying to relearn uh, now 
is that you can solve a problem without obsessing about it. Just take action, figure out what steps you need to solve the issue, and in between those steps, just relax. Worrying isn't going to solve the problem any sooner. It's just going to make you miserable. Employing that life lesson might be easier said than done, but nevertheless, I still think it's a positive philosophy to embrace. But anyway, enough about me. Uh, on with the news. So I probably won't spend too much time on this first story. It's one of those ones where the title is arguably more interesting or sensational than the story itself. But it's from the Huffington Post, and it's entitled, Televangelist Rick Joyner Says Donald Trump is Like All of Jesus' Disciples at Once. The story's by Ed Mazza, and there's an embedded clip from Right Wing Watch. I'll probably just play a bit of that clip instead of wasting time reading an article, which I believe is actually longer than the clip itself. And I just want to note that Rick Joyner is the head of Morning Star Ministries. And if you're watching the YouTube version, you'll be able to see the Morning Star logo in the lower left corner of the screen. Is it just me being a weirdo, or does Morning Star seem like uh, a little odd for the name of a Christian ministry? Sounds like a thinly veiled cover for a satanic organization in some bad TV show. We usually tend to think of Lucifer as being associated with the Morning Star, and I think that goes back to an interpretation of a certain parable in the book of Isaiah uh, regarding some Babylonian king. But in fairness, I believe that in certain parts of the New Testament, Jesus is also associated with the Morning Star. Uh, but anyway, here's the clip. Uh, I'll just play the juicy part. You know, I think if you look at the disciples that Jesus chose, they were all Donald Trump. <laughs> Every one of them were Donald Trump's. I mean, they were some of the edgiest, hardest, you know, they were, who, who else would have ever chosen any of them? And there's that morbid right-wing watch music I always make fun of. That's like the sound of me realizing my headaches had returned. Uh, don't worry, we're not getting back on that. Uh, but so the apostles were all Donald Trumps. You don't remember when Peter was popping Tic Tacs and saying, grab him by the, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird and wacky. Um, but in an attempt to be fair or charitable, I think uh, maybe the point he was trying to make, and it's not completely crazy, is that like Trump was an unorthodox candidate, the apostles were unorthodox choices for disciples, perhaps. Some fishermen, a tax collector, in the case of Judas, some scholars propose he may have been some sort of anti-Roman zealot, perhaps one of the Sicarii, or uh, dagger men, as they were called. But still, uh, comparing Trump to the apostles, a bit of a stretch. To me, it's just another example of a right-wing religious type trying to justify or rationalize their support of Trump. Let's see, I think I've got a couple of other Trump-related or at least Trump-tangential news stories. Here's an article from Patheos about a pastor who celebrated Clinton's defeat by speaking in tongues. I really wanted to cover this story because it gives me a chance to use one of my favorite words, glossolalia. Basically just a fancy word for speaking in tongues. Yeah, and so this article is from Patheos's Atheist Channel, specifically the Progressive Secular Humanist blog, and it's by Michael Stone. It's dated November 28th, and I'll read just a little bit of it. Pastor celebrates Clinton defeat by speaking in tongues. 
Pastor caught on video calling Clinton, quote-unquote, Jezebel, while speaking in tongues and celebrating Trump victory. Pastor John Kilpatrick, a Mississippi preacher, was recently caught on video speaking in tongues while celebrating Donald Trump's election and Hillary Clinton's defeat in a recent sermon. A clip posted online by Raw Story shows Pastor Kilpatrick preaching at the Evangel Temple in Meridian, Mississippi earlier this month. In the video, Pastor Kilpatrick claims that God used Hurricane Katrina to attack New Orleans because President George W. Bush had told Israel to quote-unquote give up Gaza. The Christian right knows how to paint such a charming picture of God. He's like the type of guy that loses his temper in the middle of a party and smashes all the Jenga blocks. The article goes on to describe the weird and comically entertaining nature of Pastor Kilpatrick's gibberish. But why read about it when I can just play the clip for you now? And I think the clip's about eight minutes long, and I'm gonna try to distill it down to a couple of minutes. I've got a question for you. If somebody has problems with demon possession, where are they going to get help? At CNN? Where are they going to get help? In the mental institution? It ought to be in the house of God. It ought to be in the house of God. If somebody's got demons, if somebody's bound by demons, they don't need the men in the white coats. They don't necessarily need medication. They need somebody with authority and power and anointing that says, be gone in the name of Jesus and be set free. I've seen it. I know what I'm talking about. We've had an election now. Things are going to open up. God's Spirit's going to begin to move again in America. I believe that with all my heart. Somebody give God praise. Oh, come on, praise him. I said revival, revival. Come to America. God sweep over Meridian, Mississippi with anointing of the Holy Ghost. Man. My God, just remain standing a minute. I feel the Lord in here. Come on. Keep it going. I feel this. So there's a couple of wasted minutes of your life you'll never be able to get back. Uh, I, as you probably noticed, I never even got around to the part where he calls Hillary Clinton Jezebel. I don't know if it's my headaches or a low tolerance for BS, but I found that I could only subject myself to so much of that clip. Since chances are I'm talking mostly to fellow non-believers, I probably don't have to go out of my way to convince you that speaking in tongues is nonsense. 
And I don't mean to sound too harsh. Uh, By nonsense, I mean, I don't think there's anything divine going on. I don't think that gods or spirits actually speak through people. But as someone who can appreciate the power of ritual, I can see how engaging in it might be a moving experience. I think quote-unquote glossolalia or speaking in tongues is something that can be found in even primitive shamanic cultures. It's not just a phenomenon we find uh, practiced by Pentecostal and charismatic uh, Christian sects or whatever. This guy specifically, I don't know if he actually believes this stuff. He kind of makes my BS detector go off. He's got that whole stereotypical shady televangelist vibe going on. But as far as the phenomenon of speaking in tongues in and of itself goes, I believe linguists, etc. have examined the phenomenon, taking note of things like the amount of repetition and syntax or lack thereof, and have pretty much come to the conclusion that just as you would expect, it's gibberish. It doesn't have the structure of real language. Just for the heck of it, I'll read a little excerpt from uh, Wikipedia. Glossolalia, or speaking in tongues, according to linguists, is the fluid vocalizing of speech-like syllables that lack any readily comprehended meaning, in some cases as part of religious practice in which it is believed to be a divine language unknown to the speaker. The term derives from glossaeus or glossais lalo, G-L-O-S-S-A-I-S-L-A-L-O, a Greek phrase used in the New Testament meaning speak in, with, or by tongues, and it cites 1 Corinthians. The related term xenolalia, or xenoglossy, is used to describe the phenomenon when the language being spoken is a natural language previously unknown to the speaker. Glossolalia is practiced in Pentecostal and Charismatic Christianity, as well as in other religions. That goes a little bit more into the etymology. Glossolalia is constructed from the Greek word, and there's no way I can pronounce that, um, itself a compound of the words glossa, meaning tongue or language, and lelio, to speak, talk, chat, I hate the word chat, I don't know why, prattle, or to make a sound. And it's funny they mention xenoglossy, the phenomenon where someone speaks a natural language that is supposedly unknown to them. It reminded me of how I was recently talking about The Exorcist on the show, because I think speaking in an unknown foreign language is one of the supposed signs of demonic possession. Not that I believe in that any more than speaking in tongues. But anyway, hopefully it doesn't seem like I'm trying to punish you, but as I threatened earlier, here's yet another Trump story. And this story is also dated to uh, November 28th. And it's from the Huffington Post. It's by Rebecca Klein. It's entitled, Husband of Trump's Education Secretary Once Promoted Intelligent Design in Schools. In 2006, Dick Davos, or Devos, thought Michigan students should be exposed to quote-unquote more ideas. Well, running for governor of Michigan in 2006, Dick Devos, I think, uh, probably butchering it anyway, whose wife, Betsy, is now president-elect Donald Trump's pick for U.S. Secretary of Education, 
said that schools should have the option of teaching intelligent design alongside evolution. Dick Davos mounted an unsuccessful gubernatorial bid in Michigan against then-Governor Jennifer Granholm a decade ago. During his campaign, Davos said school districts should be able to teach the idea that a higher power created life on Earth. Davos said he would support guidelines that would allow intelligent design to be included in science curricula. Or maybe it's DeVos. Who the hell knows? I would like to see the ideas of intelligent design that many scientists are now suggesting is a very viable alternative. There Are many scientists really suggesting that? Uh, DeVos or DeVos, a Republican, told the Associated Press at the time, the theory and others that would be considered credible would expose our students to more ideas, not less. Uh, and if I can interject for a moment, I guess why not? It's my podcast. I think... Um, I think something like creationism, uh, especially young earth creationism, should be kept far, far away from the classroom. But if a teacher wants to mention in passing, you know, let's say they're teaching the academically accepted theory of evolution. And do I have to do it again? Do I have to go into how theory in the scientific sense doesn't mean some unproven idea, like uh, when we use it in the vernacular? Theory in the scientific sense means something that's been kind of vetted and proven through the scientific method, through peer review, uh, observation, repeated testing, etc. So the theory of evolution is as much of a scientific fact as the germ theory of disease. But let's say a teacher is covering the theory of evolution in a responsible academic manner, but they mention in passing that there's people out there who are religious who also believe in the theory of evolution or you know the biological process of evolution they just think a higher power started it all you know sparked it all as long as the teacher isn't trying to push that on the kids as fact and they're just saying there's some people out there who think that um i actually wouldn't have a problem with that but it seems like Devos or Devos, I just keep picturing him with a little upside down red planter on his head like Devo. Um, it sounds like he wanted more than that. He didn't just want, you know, a quick passing mention. Perhaps he was fighting for equal footing for a religious explanation of evolution, which I am definitely against. But I'll continue with the article. To be sure, Devos... Devos, whatever, comments were made 10 years ago, and his wife has given no indication that she'd like to use her position in the Trump administration to promote intelligent design in schools. But Dick Devos, I'm just going to call him Devos because I think that sounds cooler. Uh, Dick Devos's views on religion and education run parallel to his wife's in many areas, and the couple's family foundation has made donations that critics say have enabled the encroachment of religious education in the public sphere. So now we're getting serious. So they have a foundation that some are saying uh, has enabled the encroachment of religious education in the public sphere, and Trump has picked her to be the Secretary of Education. So that is scary. Dick Devos's campaign manager, Greg McNeely, said in 2006 that Devos, DeVos, whatever, thought school boards should have the opportunity to offer evolution and intelligent design in science classes. 
Um, so the opportunity to offer evolution and intelligent design and science classes. So I don't know if that means, uh, you know, equal time or they should both be taught together or whatever. We support that local control, McNeely told the AP at the time. On a cached version of DeVos's or DeVos's campaign website from September 2006, the following statement from DeVos or whatever his damn name is uh, can be found. I've always believed that our children should be provided with more knowledge, not less. Lots of intelligent people can disagree about the origins of life. In the end, I believe in our system of local control. Local school boards should have the opportunity to offer evolution and intelligent design in their curriculums. At the time, groups like the American Civil Liberties Union fought back against DeVos's statements. Public schools are not Sunday schools, Carrie L. Moss, executive director of the ACLU of Michigan, said in a 2006 statement. DeVos's or DeVos's comments are part of a misguided campaign to force religious creationism back into the public schools. It is unconstitutional and bad public policy. I'll skip down a bit. It's not clear what Betsy DeVos's, maybe it's DeVos, why does that sound right now? Betsy DeVos's current stances on intelligent design, if any. Trump's transition team did not respond to a request for comment. Critics say that teaching intelligent design in schools amounts to an attack on the separation of church and state. In the 2005 court case, Kitzmiller v. Dover, a federal judge said that teaching intelligent design as science violates the First Amendment by promoting a particular version of Christianity. And I actually agree with that. Like I said, if you wanted to mention as kind of like a curiosity or a novelty that in, in passing, yeah, there's some religious people out there that think a higher power sparked the process of evolution. I, I would probably be all right with that. But teaching intelligent design as science, to me, yeah, that's problematic. Maggie Garrett, legislative director for the group Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, told HuffPost that intelligent design isn't science, it's religion. It should not be taught in a public school science classroom, Garrett said. The courts would agree with us on that one. And uh, here, here, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Once again, not to sound like a broken record. Like I said, if you want to mention it like a fun fact or a curiosity in passing, that's one thing. But trying to teach as fact that you know for certain that a higher power is responsible for the process of evolution. I mean, I'll at least give you a gold star for acquiescing to the validity of the theory of evolution. But uh, trying to say, as if it's scientific fact, th that a higher power was responsible for it. Um, yeah, that should not be taught in the classroom. Yeah, so a, a lot of us who are kind of YouTube junkies, uh, YouTube atheist channel junkies and uh, specifically, we've probably noticed that a lot of so-called YouTube atheists have almost completely given up on speaking about atheism. And they talk about how, you know, basically atheism has been done to death. It's time to move on to other topics. There's a lot of them that like to talk about so-called social justice issues and stuff like that. Um, but to me, these stories I've covered in this episode are a testament to how we have to keep fighting the good fight and we still need outspoken atheists. And some of Trump's cabinet picks and the support he's garnered among Christian fundamentalists, even if Trump himself isn't religious, I think he's more of an opportunist. Um, this should all still concern us as, as non-believers, as people who value the separation of church and state. 
and people still need to be talking about this stuff. And actually, uh, this might get me in trouble with some listeners, but because there's a lot of people out there that absolutely hate, despise the Young Turks. And a lot of them used to be Young Turks listeners. I actually used to be a big fan of the Young Turks. And like a lot of people, I became kind of disillusioned with them regarding their coverage of certain stories having to do with uh, terrorism and Islamic uh, fundamentalism, etc., uh, but nevertheless, I still watch them or listen to them uh, from time to time. And I was recently watching a short clip where Jenk was talking about how he is moved by a story one of his listeners shared with him. She was a young Muslim woman or former Muslim. She had decided to leave her religion and faced awful treatment from her family because of it. And uh, I was just, uh, I guess, somewhat relieved to hear some objectivity on the subject of Islam coming from uh, the Young Turks or Cenk specifically once again. Uh, so maybe I'll leave you guys with that. And when the clip's over, you know, I'll take care of the usual shameless plugs. Okay, here we go. We'll end on the powerful story. Um, a woman came up to me right away, right, as soon as we were done, and clearly wanted to get my attention because she wanted to tell me a story. It's a big crowd last night, so I didn't get a chance to really talk to anybody for too long. And she said, um, I grew up Muslim and uh, I read the Hadiths and the Quran and I thought, this, this isn't right. I, I don't think this is right. Um, and when I went up to my family and I talked to my brother, um, and I said, I, you know, look at what it says about women. Look, at, it's wrong. Um, or I'm like, she was looking for support, looking for a conversation. Maybe he could show me it's right or whatever it is, right? Like, hey, do you, does that make sense to you? Is I think how she framed it. She said that he spit in her face and said, you know, you know, how dare you insult Islam this way and know your role and all that stuff. And she said that listening to you guys gave me the courage to think, no, 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 I'm right, they're wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave, and, and I'm not going to let them do that to me. And to me, like a story like that, that's good enough to retire on, right? Um, so whatever else we do is gravy. Um, and I hear that from guys who came out who were gay but were evangelical Christians, conservatives, there's a famous story of the, the girl in New York who said you got me to stop being racist, um, which is an amazing thing to say. Um, so I partly tell you that because I love you guys and, and that affects me greatly and it, as hard as we run every day here, uh, that makes all the difference and, keep, and it keeps us going. So yeah, I thought that was a nice little story. And if you hate the Young Turks, hopefully you didn't feel like you had to suffer that long. I think it was only like a two-minute uh, clip. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, uh, thanks for listening, guys. And you know what? While recording this episode, I almost completely forgot about my headaches. It was good to do something I love and just, you know, escape into that for a while. Um and I didn't know if my migraines would interfere with my uh, 
cognitive abilities or my uh, my mental acumen or whatever, but I, I think I pulled off a pretty good episode. Um, so you guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook. You can follow the show on Twitter. Check out the YouTube channel, and while you're at it, please like, comment, and subscribe if you wouldn't mind. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. I can also leave a review via iTunes. Please let me know if you do. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page, or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, guys. Uh, later. Until next week. 